my usual? How many mornings had I spent here reading the journal while knocking back Bloody Marys? Slattery, I replied, let me ask you as a friend, is it your opinion that I have a drinking problem? He looked at me thoughtfully. Well, does it interfere with your job? Not anymore, I said truthfully. That was about as much as I recall of that day. I came to lying on my stomach in a storage room next to a case of bottles labeled Cana 2020. With some difficulty and not a little pain, I ascended to my knees and inspected a bottle, which seemed to contain red wine with an orangish tinge. I unscrewed the cap and took a sip. Suddenly I became convinced, without ever having sampled a mixture of grape Kool-Aid and battery acid, that it would taste precisely like the fluid now in my mouth. I spat it on the floor and careened to the men's room to rinse out the gritty residue. I was staring into the mirror, picking what appeared to be particles of rust from my teeth, when Slattery found me. He was closing up for the night, but I begged for a cup of coffee to wash away the taste. He poured it at the bar. You know, he said as I scalded myself trying to drink the coffee, maybe you aren't cut out for Wall Street. Watching you in here mornings, I get the feeling all you wanted was to get away from the big board. You don't need a bottle to do that. His words burned into me even more than the coffee, although not quite as much as the wine. Perhaps, after all, I wasn't meant for the street. Get away from here, he urged. Get out into the country. Remember what grass looks like? He pointed to a calendar showing what looked at this distance like a country field with cows, or maybe sheep. I was in no position to distinguish between things bright and beautiful. Are those sheep or cows? I mumbled. Those are monks, you blind drunk. Oh, right. It was a pastoral scene, monks doing something pastoral, maybe with sheep. I was still in no position to judge. Why monks? I asked. He shrugged. Those are the ones who make Cana 2020. I shuddered and washed some coffee down my throat. I spilled some of that in the back room. Sorry, I'll clean it up. Awful stuff, said Slattery. I couldn't serve it here. I give it to the winos. But it's a nice place, and they're good souls, and what the hell, it's a good cause, right? What, I said, are you talking about? The sheep or the monks? By now the old windows of the soul were defogged to the point where I could make out the scene on the calendar. In the background, above the monks in the vineyard, was a brick building and a church on a green hill. It does look like a nice spot. I visited it after my wife died, Slattery said. They have rooms for guests. Nothing fancy, just a bunk. Most peaceful vacation of my life. You might like it, although I guess a winery isn't exactly the place for you these days. Slattery, I said, they could serve that stuff at the Betty Ford Center and no one would drink it. Slattery smiled as I washed down more coffee. Well, he said, maybe Cana is the place for you. How far is it from Wall Street? couple of hundred miles, said Slattery. If you hit Canada, you've gone too far. I didn't hit Canada. And the week in the monastery of Cana's guesthouse turned into two years. The vacation became a vocation. It was comforting that September morning, as I chanted with the other monks, to feel so far from the material world, with all its getting and spending and so little getting of understanding. I was after the usual custom, about to go out and check the vines for overnight frost, when the abbot made a special announcement. Before going to your duties, he intoned, assemble in the calefactory, 
from the Latin for heated room, traditionally where the monks gathered to talk by the fire, I have something to say to you. We gathered around the folding card tables, pushed together to approximate the shape of the magnificent 15th century Florentine table that we had sold in order to repair the roof. Brother Bob, sitting next to me, said under his breath, Another announcement. What is there left to sell? Us? The abbot stood before us, a picture of exhaustion. A barrel-chested man in his mid-fifties, he had normally a booming baritone voice and a hearty manner that cheered us all through the long winters, doubtless the same quality that had made him a legendary captain of the Holy Cross football squad. But this morning, in the dim pre-dawn light, the usually ruddy face looked drawn and fatigued. The strain of fending off bill collectors and watching the monastery literally fall apart had taken its toll. Of late, he had been acting erratically. Some of the older monks whispered that he had been muttering obscenities in Latin. Now there was something in his eyes I had never seen before, a look of desperation. Brothers, he addressed us, I will begin with the good news. There can be little doubt that we have lived up to our vow of poverty. He held up a fistful of cash. We have three hundred and four dollars. Our bank account is empty. Our credit is exhausted. We have nothing of value left to sell. He sighed. Unless the antiques dealers suddenly develop an interest in our vintage linoleum floor. We have one functioning vehicle left with a quarter tank of gas. We have no hopes of attracting retreatants to be our guests unless we do something about the plumbing and, through no fault of Brother Tom, our food. For the last four months, we had been surviving on food stamps and cases of canned succotash and beets that, we had been told by their donor, had fallen off some semi-trucks on the interstate. I have appealed once again to our superiors at the Vatican. Our monastery was the last remnant of a once flourishing order, the Order of St. Thaddeus. Our founder, a fervent 12th century penitent who was eventually martyred by Sultan Omar the Magnanimous, had put the order under direct authority of the Pope. But our relations with the Holy See in Rome had been strained ever since an unfortunate incident ten years before. As per tradition, the monastery had sent the first case of the new wine to the Pope. His Holiness took ill shortly after drinking a glass with his dinner. Although it was never conclusively proved that our wine had caused his distress, the chemical analysis turned up a number of impurities. The Vatican has once again disinclined to offer financial assistance, the abbot said. My warning that we would have to shut down our winery was not greeted with alarm, and, frankly, who can blame them? The abbot spoke as though struggling to maintain control. Our winemaking machinery is hopelessly antiquated. Due to our problems with quality control, the Cana label has been dropped by every wine distributor except the one owned by Brother Theodore's uncle. And now even his devotion and loyalty are wavering. Uncle Leo called me yesterday after sampling the Cana Nouveau. He is a kind man. I got the feeling that his charity is being sorely tested. What did he say? asked Brother Theo. He described in some detail the difficulty he had swallowing it. Though he does not wish to abandon us, he said that he knew of no liquor store in America, even in the least fortunate neighborhoods, or for that matter, anywhere in the industrialized world, that would buy Cana from him at any price. 
He asked me if we had ever considered marketing it as an industrial solvent. I assured him that he must have received a bad batch. At any rate, he is coming next week to taste the new vintage, and I do not think we can try his faith any further. The Lord does not expect us to produce wine from water, but we ought to be able to make it from grapes. If we can't do that, we'd better find some other business, because when the $304 is gone, so will Cana be gone. There was a deep silence, deeper even than the normal monastic silence. Brother Algernon spoke. You mean close the monastery? The rules of the Order of St. Thaddeus require us to be self-sufficient. I doubt St. Thad would rejoice if he knew that we have been living on food stamps. Winter is coming. I still haven't paid last year's fuel oil bill. Unless you have a plan for alternative heat sources, we face a winter without heat, which is not an agreeable prospect in a climate where the temperature normally dips to ten below. None of us took a vow of lunacy or hypothermia. I tried to dispel the gloom. Perhaps we could use the wine to run the furnace. My attempt at levity met with silence. Some of the brothers gave me disapproving looks. Would that work? said Brother Jerome, hopefully. Brother Jerome, who tended the pigs and hens, was known for his simplicity as well as his piety. The abbot sighed heavily, as he usually did when Brother Jerome offered one of his helpful suggestions. We'll give that prayerful consideration. I think Brother Ty was making an attempt at humor. Perhaps his one year of silence was not sufficient. He glowered at me. Brother, would you see me in my office after you help Brother Jerome clean the sty? He led us in a short prayer and bade us go about our duties. I went off to clean out the pig's pen in penitential silence. That done, I went to see the abbot. He was deep in reading, sitting at his desk, an old door straddling two drab metal filing cabinets. Oh, Brother Ty. He closed the book. He caught me reading the title. Creating Affluence, Wealth Consciousness in the Field of All Possibilities, Deepak Chopra, M.D. Ever heard of this fellow? He read aloud from the book jacket. With clear and simple wisdom, Deepak Chopra explores the full meaning of wealth consciousness and presents a step-by-step -step plan for creating affluence and fulfillment on all levels of our lives. His books have sold millions. They tell me he's on television all the time on the educational channel. You're not seriously... I caught myself. It was clear from the poor man's face that he was serious. He was at the end of his tether. Best humor him, I decided. Any lilies in this field of all possibilities? I haven't gotten to the field part yet. He's got this system called the A to Z Steps to Creating Affluence. It's either extremely profound or total rubbish. To be honest... I had an easier time understanding Aquinas. I have no idea what the man is talking about. That's why I asked to see you. You worked with wealthy people on Wall Street. I understand Chopra has quite a following. What do you make of him? Well, I said, trying to deflect the question, I doubt he has much practical advice on winemaking. Let's look under W, he said, flipping. He read aloud. W stands for wealth consciousness without worries. Wealth consciousness implies absence of money worries. Truly wealthy people 
never worry about losing their money because they know that wherever money comes from, there is an inexhaustible supply of it. Once, when we were discussing a world peace project with my teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, somebody asked him, where is all the money going to come from? And he replied, without hesitation, from wherever it is at the moment. The abbot glanced at the price sticker on the back of the book with a look of despair. I paid fourteen dollars for this. That money is on its way to Deepak Chopra. That is where my money is at the moment. The question is how to get it to come back. I said, maybe you should have spent the fourteen dollars on a bottle of wine. For that you could get something without rust particles in it. You're probably right. I should have gone to the liquor store instead. Certainly that is where the good wine is at the moment. Suddenly his expression changed. He stared at the text with renewed intensity. From wherever it is at the moment. From wherever it is at the moment. He stood. Brother Tai, I have an errand for you. I found myself puzzling over the abbot's mutterings as I drove our 78 Ford pickup into town. He had handed me Cana's last $304 and instructed me to go to the liquor store and spend it on six cases of decent Chilean table wine. I kept telling myself that he most likely wanted to analyze it in order to improve our own stuff. But as the chassis vibrated along the country road, the question nagged at me. Why does he need so much wine to do that? Wherever it is at the moment... It sounded like what Willie Sutton said to the judge when asked why he robbed banks. That's where the money is. Surely the abbot had nothing improper in mind. The abbot of the monastery named after our Lord's first miracle wouldn't turn one wine into another. Surely we should be trying to improve our own wine rather than putting someone else's wine in our bottles, just to fool Uncle Leo. Anyway, we could hardly afford to buy enough decent Chilean table wine to keep our customers deceived for long. The abbot, I reassured myself, was a holy man, a pious man, a good man who had given up a promising career as a professional football player to lead the contemplative life. I calmed myself by meditating on my vow of obedience. At the top of a hill, I heard a loud grinding sound in the vicinity of the transmission, followed by smoke. I pulled over. A passing motorist was kind enough to call a garage on his cellular phone. An hour later, I found myself sitting disconsolately in Clark's garage as Clark wiped the oil from his face and told me that a new transmission would cost $650. I showed him my $304, explaining that this represented the sum total of Cana's worth. He took pity on